Welcome to the Reimagined Podcast, a podcast that seeks to reimagine faith and life in the community as we link, learn, and live together. I'm Greg Inglis, along with Brad Hoffman and Brian Dupuy. Today, on episode 67, we talk about productivity and how is it we can create a theological framework in our everyday work. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Hey. Hello. Hey, welcome. Yes. Howdy. Yes. Man, though. I don't know. I think the West Coast is, and we are. It's like a heat wave going on. A little warm. A little warm. Yeah. 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 Toasty. I mean hot. Toasty. Toasty. I yeah. talked to somebody the other day out in Oregon that they were they were enjoying 116. Yeah, I've heard about yeah. some of the stuff out West. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. yeah their cool message warm. to me was, well, I hope your summer's as cool as ours is. Yeah. <laughs> and so. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. but it yeah. still is my favorite time of the year. I'm going to tell you why. Yes. Because uh, I go through this Please stretch. Do. Uh, so December's busy for me because um, I have a wife that has a birthday, a brother, a mother, a son. I mean, it's Christmas. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's busy. Expensive. Yes. <laughs> but come on June and July, it's my time. Yeah. Because if I, I start, you know, we have Mother's Day, but then we hit Father's Day. Then I hit a wedding anniversary. Then I hit my birthday. Then we hit Fourth of July. Yeah. And all in between there, I got the College World Series happening, the All-Star Game for baseballs kicking up i mean it's yeah. it, it's it's a good it's four or five zone. weeks it's my it's zone. zone it's yeah. the bring, summer of great bring all the gifts to daddy right <laughs> <laughs> anniversaries birthdays <laughs> father's day <laughs> and just let me watch all the all-star games the college world series it's perfect yeah uh, yeah uh, it's beautiful i don't know nice yeah i'm happy for you Summer of Jubilee. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Somebody's got to experience it. (laughs) Biblical there. Yeah. 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 So to my wife and kids who never listen. Oh. Take note. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, my Uh, wife does listen. uh, Yeah. 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 uh, Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a good time. But College World Series, Mississippi State won the uh, baseball college world big for them. They're known as the best baseball program out there, with never having a championship. Yeah. And now they've done that. So tough on the. On Vanderbilt, but they've had right. their share of wins the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. Pass it on. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's pretty good. So pass it what, what, on. Fourth of good. July. What are you doing? Fourth of July. <clears throat> well, actually, uh, actually, that I hear the forecast for us is going to be pretty decent. Yeah. We have a little rain beforehand, but the weather. Uh, we thought about doing something, but then we had a kind of a rainy weather forecast. So it's like, okay, we'll be inside. So I have no idea really what we're going to do. I mean, that's probably a long answer to a very quick question. Yeah. So, um, but no, I don't, Brian. Out on the farm, what are y'all going to do? Mm, well, uh, we're going to go. Uh, we're going to take in a baseball game. Oh, great. Yeah. Nice. That's an annual thing for you. You come yes. downtown and watch the squirrels. That's right. Okay. That's okay. right. Yeah. And we already have seats for the fireworks afterward. And Excellent. Uh, we oh, used perfect. to, I mean, for years, when our children were small, we were dumb. And we would uh, <laughs> we would drive down to the city and try and park at that Bill's Barbecue place. Oh, yeah. With yes. all the other yes. people that are trying to park, waiting for the game to get over so that they would show the fireworks. Uh, and, and then several years back, we had this epiphany. What if we just went to the game? enjoyed a good baseball game and then had a seat for the fireworks so yeah yeah no it goes together yep yeah fireworks all over because like um down in midlothian i guess brandermill um Mm -hmm. the boathouse was doing a thing out there at sunday park where you could like reserve a table outside for the entire evening and do fireworks dinner and all that kind of stuff now the tables were not free mind you and they were charging per chair yeah it was expensive but like that would be so cool because that's just like a great space out there. I love that lake, and as you look out, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just a great space. They got good pizza and stuff like that in there too. But uh, yeah. but no, mm. that's, that's good. We, we didn't we didn't act fast enough because I thought it was gonna rain. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but I'm glad you're gonna have a great weather and you're gonna have a mm-hmm. great fourth, man. Oh, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be fantastic. 
be fun. They do good fireworks in the fourth. They yeah. do. So, they do. Yeah. 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 That's great. So. so. While we're all yep. lounging and you know enjoying the <laughs> yes, yes. The, the leisures of life, yes. there is there is productivity. To I know talk we about. need to talk about that. We need to talk about productivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I do want to dive into that today. I'm excited about the the this podcast because I think it's something that uh, we all struggle with. And yeah. for me, it, it goes in seasons, up and down. I feel like at some zones, I'm I'm right in there on the calendar. I know my time frames, my energy levels. I'm doing this, and other times I just feel like I've jumped off the cliff and my arms are just flapping as fast as they can to keep up with whatever's taking right. place. So yeah. uh, I think if we can have a better understanding of it, it's going to be good. So uh, today we're excited uh, to welcome uh, Dr. Brandon Crow to the podcast. Brandon is an associate professor of New Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary, and he's the author of several books on Old Testament theology. However, his uh, book that's out now that uh, we've had the opportunity to, to look at is on productivity in a theological framework that's entitled Everyday Matters. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to talk about productivity and how we reimagine our effectiveness from a biblical or theological framework of productivity. So, Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're glad glad to have you taking taking time out on it. So, uh, really good little book there on uh, everyday matters and what does that uh, you know what does that look like for people uh, as they try to be productive. Of course, we're in a society that's pushing, pushing, pushing. Right, this element yeah. of productivity, but is it healthy or not healthy? So I really look forward to getting into that. So just to start off a little bit, uh, what's your journey uh, in terms of coming to the point of writing about productivity? Well, um, this book grew out of really a need that I had as I graduated seminary, you know, graduated college, I went into the working world for a while and a couple of years. Then I went to seminary. Then I did PhD work, and then I began to teach at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And uh, about the time I graduated college, or towards the end of my career in college, I remember hearing a lot about uh, objectives and goals and roles and all these sort of, of, of buzzwords. And think to, I thought to myself, I, I really want to understand what they're talking about and how I can harness some of that and figure out how to you know, make the most of the opportunities that, that I've been given. And as I graduated college, I, I sort of graduated and didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I, I had to figure out, you know, what are you doing with your life and, and, and how are you going to make the most of, uh, of your education and so forth. And I read some things and I thought about some things, but this is the sort of book that I wish I would have had uh, around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then yeah, fast forward a little bit beyond that and I go to seminary. Uh, seminary is, is really hard and there's a lot of things to juggle and I felt like about the time that I understood how to manage my time and do things I was graduating and then it was on to the next step and it was PhD work and I was able to uh, you know make progress on that but as I was doing it I, I was thinking uh, you know if, if, if you get off track here uh, you're really going to be behind the eight ball and not going to be able to finish well, and I did some things okay there that, that I think I learned from in retrospect, but it really was whenever I, I started teaching, and teaching has a number of different challenges that come at you at the same time. When you begin teaching at a seminary or college or uh, maybe even a pastoral ministry, uh, but, but in the educational you know, classroom context, you have to write lectures from scratch, and we're talking 10, 12 hours a week, you have to lecture, and that's got to be multiplied in terms of the preparation. And so when you first begin teaching, this is my, my experience at least, uh, I was married with a young family, small children, uh, finishing up my dissertation and trying to get that published. 
I, I have to learn other areas beyond what I wrote my dissertation on to teach. And so I started teaching, for example, all four Gospels, all of Hebrews to Jude, Greek, uh, canon of the New Testament. I began to teach textual criticism, uh, New Testament backgrounds. So I have to keep up with all of the research in that, write lectures on that. But we're not done because you still have to do administrative work. Mm-hmm. And so preparing lectures takes a really long time. And then the administrative work on top of that uh, is also a requirement. And as the young person on the totem pole, you have to say yes to so many things. You have to be a part of everything. Yeah. And so sort of out of necessity around the time I started teaching, I started diving more in depth to reading productivity books, uh, listening to things like podcasts, uh, trying to figure out how to organize all of the stuff I had going on. Uh, and and what I wrote in this book is really my, on the other side of that, trying to distill the things that I learned from a, a lot of different sources into a compact, uh, not too long book that covers both uh, the principles of what you ought to be doing and then how to do it. But the, the thing that, that I had to bring to the table in particular was the biblical perspective. And then that's there in some of productivity books. I wasn't trying to replace any, but uh, the niche of this book is a short book and not too long with as much information as I could pack into it. Uh, but one that comes at the questions from a robustly theological perspective uh, so that uh, we're filtering some things that need to be filtered, amplifying some things that are already out there, perhaps that need to be amplified, uh, but providing as a one-stop shop for anyone interested in trying to get their, uh, their, their life organized and so forth. So there are a lot of books in regards to, um, you know, product production and productivity. And I don't know what they're categorized. Maybe most of them are filed under self-help categories at, at, at your local dealers. Um, But coming up with the term, a uh, theological framework or a a theology of productivity, uh, I I had the privilege of working in sports and recreation for years, and I would talk about a theology of play. And I remember people look back at me like, that's crazy. How can you have a theology of play? (laughs) I'm just curious (laughs) when you came up with the idea and we're talking about a a theology of of productivity, uh, what's the view back at you in that? Well, what, uh, what I do is I teach the Bible, and so it's natural for me to uh, connect that uh, to this. And along with that, some of the impetus for this book came not just from myself, but the fact that I lead a prayer group with uh, seminary students. And seminary students seem to be busier than ever. Uh, and so the sort of things that I had been working on myself, thinking through, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm not claiming originality in everything I say here. There's right. a lot of help I've gotten from other people. And so some of those things that I was having to work on, I saw the same things coming up. Probably the, the number one prayer request I've had in my 12 years here of teaching is is time management. Uh, how do I manage everything? How do I juggle family and work and school responsibilities? And so it never has deviated far from my mind, and that is the, the productivity questions. And so what I began to see is, uh, people need help with this, but but what is not out there uh, in in spades is biblical perspective on it. And, and even some of those that are Christian books are more like self-help books. And this is not a self-help book. I say that very clearly. I think Amazon puts it under self-help, which I think on page one or two, I say this is not a self-help book. <laughs> this is a book that says you need the Lord's help. Uh, you can't do everything. 
but I think there is a biblical perspective on our labor, on our work, and that is God designed work to be something that we do. We're creators. We're creative. Uh, we are. Work is not a product of the fall into sin, but sin does affect our work and makes it more difficult. And so, it's not work is not wrong, uh, but the problem is sin. But there is great dignity in work. In Proverbs, for example, I spend a lot of time on Proverbs. Proverbs sort of gives you the, the sort of standard paradigm, which is if you want to eat, then you work. If you want to be successful, put in the hours. Now, there's complications to that. And that's, for example, Ecclesiastes talks about some of the complications. But sort of the baseline is work is good. And diligence is rewarded. Diligence pays off. Practice, practice, practice. You will stand before kings. And that's sort of the baseline. Uh, not running from work, but understanding that diligence pays off. And uh, that's Proverbs in, in a nutshell. Uh, now, there's other things that because we live in a sinful world, it doesn't always work that way. That's Ecclesiastes. Uh, sometimes the uh, the lazy are rewarded and those who will work hard are not rewarded. That's just part of what happens. And, and despite the chaos, and the New Testament will make it even more clear, despite the chaos, God is in control. We're still called to be diligent. And ultimately, nothing we do is in vain because Christ redeems our work as the one who has been raised from the dead. Uh, so there, in a nutshell, is the theology of work. Um, and that's what I think is lacking in a lot of books. Some books do it well, and I don't, and don't intend to say and mine is the only one that does it well. Um, but what I've tried to do is combine the practical steps, the principles, and a, I hope a um, fresh take on Old Testament and New Testament theology of productivity from the biblical text. So your question about theology, maybe some of your listeners think that sounds really you know, ivory tower. We're just saying, what does the Bible say about it? That's all yeah. it means. Right, mm-hmm. right. No, that's good. And yeah. I think that's what I appreciate about what the work that you did in this was that it is concise. Um, it's, and I don't want to use the term. I mean, I think it's plainly spoken in the sense it's easily understood and easily applicable uh, application. So I, I like that piece of it. You've t- you've taken something that could be something huge and complex, and you've drilled it down into something that can be easily understood. So um, kudos on the on the framework yeah. piece that you did on the theological orientation. So yeah, I think it's I an interesting. I think it's an interesting thing to think about um, about how, the way that God gives us these gifts and the gift of work, and yet, like many things that God gives us, uh, we find all kinds of unhealthy ways to approach or to take it, to use it, uh, and uh, you know, part of that brokenness that you were talking about there. Yeah. So there's a there's a phrase that you use early on uh, about everyday matters. Obviously, that's the that's the title of the book, but you define that in there as a key phrase in work. Um, how did you settle on everyday matters? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know where the phrase came from, but at one point, it sort of you know came in my head and and it just sort of stuck. And so that was sort of the approach. I've got a little plaque that's on my desk that says "Everyday Matters." Before I wrote the book. Uh, what, what, what does that mean? Well, it really means two things, and it's sort of a summary of the book. Mm-hmm. One is every day is important, right? Every day is significant. And this is one of the keys uh, to getting things done. Because how often do we think, well, I'll start that tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, uh, you know what, I'm tired this afternoon. I know I need to do a little writing or, or progress on this particular long-term project. But, you know what, I'll, I'll, I can skip this hour and go home, and it's not going to make that much difference. In reality, it's it does matter. It makes a big difference um, 
because every little bit helps. And every time you delay on a big project in particular, for example, the, the further you are behind. So on the one hand, every day matters. Don't take a day off. Don't think tomorrow's more important. Uh, today matters. And uh, you know, I like to compare it maybe to baseball. This illustration, I think, got cut out of the book. As many books, you have stories and things that get cut out. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. But um, Major League Baseball, 162 games. Now, how many people say, I don't like to watch baseball because none of the games matter? You know, there's 162 games. Well, my view on that is, look at the standings at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. How many games are actually separating those teams? Two or three mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times? Now, do you think every game matters if two or three games would have made a difference? I mean, maybe four or five, but even there, yeah. uh, every inning actually matters, and every pitch matters. You never know which pitch is going to be, which inning turns the tide. You know, which uh, uh, which pitcher is going to run out of of uh, uh, of of his inning allotment and so forth. And so, I think every pitch matters, every inning matters, and every game matters. Same thing in in life. Every day matters. Don't don't avoid today. So that's the first part of it. The second part is. It's the everyday matters, the little matters of life, the little things. Uh, the little things that we do add up. You might think, well, I've got this big event, this big decision, this big project to do, and I'll spend all of my time on that. Uh, maybe you do have things that you need to focus on, but everyday matters. I mean, it's the little matters, the little things of everyday life that really determine how we're going to succeed or not uh, from a human perspective. You know, So uh, are you going to... Uh, make the right decision when you go to the grocery store. Are you going to load up on cookies? You know, are you going to buy some vegetables? Uh, are you going to sleep in today again? Or are you going to get up? Or are you going to exercise? Are you going to start reading the scriptures more consistently today? You know, it's a small thing. The little things we do add up. So that's the two angles from which to view it. It's every day is important, but it's the small things of everyday life, which is where we really live and where we're really going to make progress and see things happen. Yeah. The idea of just knowing that every day does matter and what I do now and today makes a difference going forward and so much of putting off Mm -hmm. takes place now, right? Or multitasking takes place or even the, you know, being able to be focused in those, in those zones makes a big difference. So you, you talk about six principles there in the book and uh, can you give a, just a run through of of some of those so that the listeners can kind of get a feel for where that is? Yeah, so after the first part of the book, I cover biblical perspectives. The second section of the book is on the principles. These are principles, some of which I have tweaked and so forth, but many of these are common knowledge in the realm of productivity, and if you've read them before, you'll see some different takes on them that I have here. If you've never heard them before, here they are, uh, the ones that I think are the most important. Uh, one is you got to know your priorities, and that sounds abstract again, but you have to know what's more important. You know, is, is watching binge-watching the latest TV show more important or spending time with my children? I mean, there's an obvious you know, example. Uh, you've got to figure out some kind of a pecking order, and it's not going to be foolproof or airtight. Things are going to change. But, for example, you know, is the Lord more important than going to a sporting event, right? Or is uh, are your children more important, uh, or is uh, getting a promotion at work more important? There are going to be ways you have to have wisdom and work around those, but you need to have some kind of a pecking order, a framework for understanding how to make decisions. And then once you have that, this, the next chapter is on goals and planning. Uh, what do you want to accomplish? You know, do you want to uh, do you want to uh, write a book? Do you want to get a degree? Do you want to uh, 
build a tree house, you know, whatever it is, what do you want to do? How do you get started on it? And so you have to have something to shoot for. Now, this is where uh, the next chapter comes into play as well. You have, have something to shoot for and know what you want to accomplish. But along with that is you need to have the routines in place to be able to help you meet them. It may be abstract to say, uh, let's just say, get a degree. Well, what do you do? How, how do you get a degree? Uh, it might just be take the next step. You might have routines to help you meet a degree. Uh, or let's say write a book. This is an easy example. I, I know not, not everyone's going to write a book, but it's, it illustrates it well. Uh, if you want to write a book, you don't just do that over a weekend. Right. And you can't just say, I'm going to take a week. I'm going to go out to you know the woods of Virginia, get myself a cabin, and I'm just going to write a book. Well, no good book is written that way unless you know maybe you're exceptional. How do you write a book? Let's say a book might be 100,000 words. It's you know, a two or 300 page book. Well, write 100 words a day for 1,000 days. Or write a thousand words a day for a hundred days or whatever it is. And then you break it down into small pieces or read a book. Maybe that's easier. If you have a thousand page book, how do you read that book? You can't just say, I'm going to read, you know, once I read Moby Dick last year on during lockdown because I thought I would never read it otherwise. I think that was about 500 pages. That's about right. Like 2000. Yeah, it felt like 2000. So how do you do it? You read a chapter at a time. Say, let's say there's 50 chapters in a book. Say read a chapter a day for 50 days. You've got your big book knocked out. So you do it a little bit at a time. And that's how you make progress for goals. You don't do it all at once. You do a little bit at a time and you get a routine in place and you say, I'm going to read in the evenings from 830 to 930. I'm going to read one chapter of a book for two months. You set aside the time, you put it on your calendar, and you make it part of your routine. Uh, another example I use with seminary students is biblical languages. And maybe some of your listeners are, have learned biblical languages or any language. Uh, it's like watering a plant. You can't just cause a plant to grow overnight by dumping eight gallons of water on it. It's a little bit every day, right? Yeah. And the same thing with a language or something like that. You don't learn Greek or German or whatever in a weekend. It's 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day. And before you know it, you've made progress. So that's the next principle. Uh, The other thing is the next chapter I have in there is on family. Uh, Because I I believe God works through families. Our families are important. And whatever the situation is, married, single, parents, aunt or uncle, a child, a grandparent, niece, nephew, whatever it is, our family has to figure in here somehow. Uh, into our priorities. Now, that can be related to church family as well. Uh, but we need to know that uh, as part of, uh, take take account for that. And then the last two uh, briefly are, we need rest. And this sometimes gets overlooked. I believe the Sabbath is built into the structure of creation and we need a day of rest. And so, yes, we need vacations. That's something very biblical about that, I think, from Ecclesiastes. But we also just need the weekly rhythm of work and rest. And so we have built-in buffers for burnout every week. Uh, and then beyond that, we just need to understand that we are integrated persons. And what we eat, how we sleep, how we exercise, those things will affect our energy levels. And so we need to take account of, are we making wise decisions with how we treat our bodies? Because if you want to work long hours and get a lot of things done, you're going to have fewer of those if you are in poor health. So as much as we can control that, of course, things happen. But in as much as we can you know, make wise decisions about drinking water and, and eating well and exercising, those things do have a significant impact on, on I think, ability to get things done. Yeah, all those points are, are, are great. And I would say 
just reading those and, and now hearing verbally, Brandon, you, you speak to those. Uh, like, Brad, you're really good at the rhythm of life thing. Like, from my seat watching you, like, I, I learned from that. Like, you talk mm-hmm. about that rhythm of life and the importance of that rhythm, and, and you're the guy that, that lives in those ry- rhythms. And uh, the longer I'm in it, um, the more I'm realizing the importance of, of those of those rhythms. And even even so much, even the idea of the vacations. Like, I'm all for the vacation. But <laughs> maybe maybe I'm learning like, that three or four days here and there on a more regular basis is better than that one yeah. week off and trying to, you know, because it's three days in before I even start resting kind of thing. But yeah. I, I do, yeah. I think what he's talking about here in the book, you know, you, you, you live that out. I, I want to ask you a question because you talk about meeting with, uh, you know, your students and, and the next generation that's there. Um, and just as, as we, we work with the next generation, um, what, what do you think the obstacles are for them that while we all had the obstacles, I, I, I understand well, seminary, young kids, baby, work, 18 hours, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and we've all had that through the generations. But is it an element now that's really changed and, and it's a little different and people are overwhelmed? Are there greater obstacles there? And how, what is that impacting? What are you hearing from students about real impact of how are they learning to be productive and being productive? Well, I think uh, what, one of the things that impacts them in this generation, and I, I'm of the, you know, I'm not quite a millennial. I'm 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 older than that. And the millennials are the native technology generation, you know, with with the screens and everything. I don't think that makes us more productive in general. If I can just say so, I think it can. Uh, I think the screens, the, the computers, the you know, the phones, the tablets, the connected world. I think it can make you more productive if you know how to harness it. But it takes a lot of discipline. I think overall, uh, those things combined with things like social media, I think those make us much less productive. And they are bigger time drains than we understand uh, and energy drains. So you can be connected to email 24 hours a day. But I don't think you should be unless, you know, you have to be on call for some reason. Uh, You can answer emails all hours of the day on weekends, you know, on on Sundays and everything else. And I don't think we we need a break from that. And and the, the other thing of that is... It is so easy to get distracted using the tools of work. So, I mean, we've all done it. You're on your computer, you know, and you're, you're writing something on a Word document or you're, uh, you're, you're trying to, uh, you know, look up some things. Maybe you're doing Bible research or something and an email pops up or you think about who won the game last night, you know, or, 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 or you click the wrong thing and you go to the wrong screen and then you start doing something and say, wait a minute, I, I was actually doing something else. And um, even when you don't mean to, it just and it happens to all of us. I, I think the the uber uh, connectivity of our age is one of the challenges of, of, and it's not just the younger generation. It's all of us are now in that boat. Yeah. But knowing how to disconnect, uh, I can remember what it's like not to be connected. Uh, and I think, you know, we were okay when we weren't connected all the time. Right. And the younger generation doesn't quite have that life uh, you know, Vista, where, where they lived in a world that was not connected, and the fear of missing out, and the the inability to talk to one another well because we're always on our phones because we're we're doing social media too much. Some of those things, I think, are challenges not only to getting things done but also just in and having a, a balanced life. And not, not everybody does it poorly or well, and even those who do it well, uh, you know, we all struggle with it. So, um, and I'm not saying I always do it well myself. I think those are particular challenges for the native technology generation uh, and one that is really affecting all of us that we have to be careful about. We, we have to use technology and not let it use us. And that's really hard to do. 
So we talk about a couple of the, the obstacle there in terms of the digital uh, things that we all face, and, and that's yeah. true no matter what age group and we are. You're, you're right about that. How about the idea? You see a lot of just multitasking comes along with that because we have those capabilities, or maybe in the workforce today with things have changing, like we're you're applied to do so many different things and yet be more productive, be more productive. Multitasking. Uh, how do you see that? Well, it depends on the industry you're in. You might have to do multitasking, meaning you might have to be be on a call. Uh, you know, and talking to people or whatever at the same time. But in general, multitasking is not a good idea, even if you can do it. Why is that? Well, it's not really multitasking from what I've, what I can gather. It's switch tasking because you can't, you know, the old saying, you can't uh, walk and chew gum at the same time or, or whatever it might be, uh, rub your belly and pat your head at the same time. Well, you know, there's some truth to that. Or one of my baseball coaches used to say, "Do not chew gum when you're hitting baseball because it'll mess up your rhythm. You can't do the two things at once." I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, that's but, interesting. That's interesting. What uh, was your batting average? <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Uh, <laughs> why didn't you chew gum? Right? Um, uh, what we so what we. Um, what you're doing when you're multitasking is actually going back and forth between two things at once. And you typically lose continuity. You lose depth. Uh, that is, you, you lose focus and insight. Uh, and it takes you longer to do things. So most people think they're really good multitaskers. Some people know they're not. Mm-hmm. But even those who think they are, like I think it's one of those things where everybody thinks they're above average. Uh, and, you know, it can't be the case that, that everybody's above average. And so uh, most people think they're good at it. Maybe they are. But even if you're good at it, you're actually losing, uh, you're losing continuity and you're losing momentum. Some have called this, what do they call this? Um, residue or something like this. I've heard this term used where you, you're actually, you can't leave one thing and go to something else completely. Right. Especially going back and forth. It's much more efficient and you get better quality if you focus on one thing at a time. Now, how do you get around that? Now, sometimes we multitask. Sometimes you, I can listen to classical music and write, but I don't know anything about music. Somebody who knows music won't be able to do that because they'll hear all of the different things that are happening and it'll be distracting. But if it's just background music, I can do it. Now, I multitask more than I should, uh, but sometimes we do it on accident. You know, you have, you're working on a computer and things pop up. Well, turn off those dings and notifications. You'll be glad you did. Uh, those don't serve you. They serve the company who makes the ding and the buzz so that you use their product more and it helps the company. Um, the other thing you can do is um, jot down things, you know, make a note. I have sticky notes all around my desk mm-hmm. uh, and I have carried a little pad of paper with me typically. And so when something comes to mind, instead of doing it, I'll jot it down and leave it and know that I'll come back to it and get it later. Here's one from yesterday. I've got it right here on my desk. A note of a passage to look up and an essay to see if I needed to include it in the chapter I'm working on. Uh, and so make notes for yourself, write them down, get it out of your mind so it's not a burden. And, but then schedule, say this morning for two hours, I'm going to work on uh, issue X. And then after lunch, I'm going to come back and work on issue uh, Y. Now, I may not be done with issue X, but I know I need to get an issue Y. And so I'm going to to separate those and then maybe the end of the day two hours of 
whatever time and, and you can pick which one you work on. But multitasking, as much as, as we like to say we're good at it, I'm one of those people who says, oh, I'm really good at it. I don't know if I am or not. I've done it more than I should. But I have better quality work when I don't do it. Yeah, I, I would agree to that. Yeah. I, I struggle with that. It bounces yeah, back yeah, and forth. Yeah. And I think I'm really doing something and I'm, at the end of the day, I'm yeah. not. And that's where I've really had to apply for me, looking at my calendar, and I highlight hours in the day that I have my best energy, my low energy, my medium mm-hmm. energy, and then I build within my energy zones. Because I used to buy in the fact that, you know, well, I just don't have time in a day. Well, that's not really true. We all have 24 hours in a day. Sure. Yeah. And it's how you build it out so that, you know, removing the idea of bouncing, bouncing, bouncing to know where my energy energies are, working mm-hmm. those, those frames uh, with that, so... So your practices as you come out, um, as you come out of the principal piece, your practices, you talk about engaging the disciplines, getting organized and, and avoiding pitfalls. Um, I love the discipline conversation, the pitfall piece. Um, I'd love for you to, to just briefly say something about that. But I'd really like um, I'd really like a couple of thoughts on the organization piece and getting organized, because what we're watching is there's this shift. I mean, in March of 2020, we moved from an office space to home space, and then we're having to get organized at home. And now we're seeing this shift back to the office where employers are, you know, one one particular major employer in our area is doing a three-two. So the idea is you're three days in the office, two days you can be wherever you are, and they use this term, most productive. So they say you can, you can work somewhere else as long as you're productive, whatever that is uh, for them. But we're noticing our employers are all coming back in a hybrid fashion. Um, does that make does that create complexity in in what we will call organization and productivity in these multiple workspaces and yeah, you know, that look like? it, it, that's a good question and, and one that I, i've sort of lived with that myself because i have two workstations i have my i'm in my office here i have an office but then i have a home office which is not really an office it's a desk you know and so uh, i can work there a lot it depends on you know, during last year's lockdowns, I was there all the time. Right. Uh, but on other days when, when my kids are, are at school all day, for example, sometimes I'll be at home and I have a quiet house and I can write or, or research or whatever. But, but I've kind of wrestled with that myself. I don't know all of the ins and the outs of everyone's situation. Um, and it depends on the industry you're in. And for myself, it depends on uh, if I'm doing some research or writing. It depends on the stage of the research or the writing. Early on, I can do it from anywhere. When I get closer to finishing something and I need dozens of books at one time, I need to be in a place where I can have dozens of books at one time. So it depends on uh, the sort of ebbs and flows of the project, perhaps. But in terms of organization, uh, having a desk space uh, for those who work on computers or work in a desk, uh, quote unquote, environment, uh, having some having a comfortable chair, having perhaps something that can stand up so you can. Uh, you can stand up and, and rest your back and, and get some, you know, keep yourself alert at certain times of the day. As you mentioned, some days, uh, some times of the day, we're more productive. Know what those are and and do the most difficult things during those times, uh, the things that are the most important, perhaps, during those times. For myself, I know that research and writing, I do that better in the morning if I can mm-hmm. block that out because I have the, the highest energy and I can go longer without breaks in the morning. In the afternoon, it just depends. <laughs> I may have more meetings and I may have uh, lower energy levels and so forth. But in terms of getting organized from home, I would say uh, making you know small investments in organizational things. Maybe it's a desk organizer. Maybe it's one of those things that lets you raise and lower a desk. Uh, maybe it's a comfortable chair. Maybe it's noise canceling headphones. Some of those things might pay significant dividends 
uh, it's worth investing in some money in some of these things. Uh, and, um, and the more organized you are, I have a little desk organizer in, in my house and it, it holds pens and it holds a uh, phone. It holds sticky notes. It holds uh, index cards and things like this. A thing that holds, uh, has some noise canceling headphones uh, that are good for long trips on planes. It's also good for children when you're trying to work at home. And so some of those things really are um, uh, a worthwhile investment. And maybe you have, uh, but having a workstation at home, I think is probably a good idea for most people, a place where you can go to work and you know, hey, I'm working when I'm here. And I have other parts of the house where I say, this is not a work spot. I'm here to, to relax or hang out. Uh, and so when you go to that work spot, maybe like a prayer closet even, where you pray, uh, you know, this is like you're in the mode to pray uh, or read scriptures. There's a place where you can um, work. That, that could really be helpful, I think, for home. Uh, and the other thing, though, is, is sometimes going to the office, depending on the commute, it's more efficient use of your time. Meaning it takes me about 15 minutes to get to my office one way. And that 30 minutes is often well spent because if I get to the office, I'm in task mode all day. I don't, you know, I don't want to fix something around the house or, uh, you know, or, or go outside and do whatever. It's, I'm in my office all day. Right. And so sometimes, even if you can work from home, you might ask, is this going to be the most productive place? And now when it comes to organization, maybe I'll say a bit more about that. Having a way to write your ideas down or your tasks down is crucial. And knowing where to put the right information is crucial. Uh, there's not one way to do it. But uh, I have found, others have said this, and I have found it true for me. You need um, an email separate from a task list, separate from an information storage um, capability. And that means your email doesn't is not your task list, uh, and your, your email is not your filing cabinet, probably, unless you set it up that way. Uh, but you need these different things. And something else I would add to that is uh, a notebook or a planner. Having something that is not connected that you can just look at and you can just write things down and you can review easily. So I have a, a, a hard copy planner. And one of the benefits is is I can go back and see what, what I've done for the week very easily without having to look in my trash or deleted items. And I can see, did I make progress this week? And I can look for the whole quarter, the whole month and see if I've made progress and then um, and see where I need to make adjustments moving forward. That goes along with reviewing and planning uh, your weeks. That's a very important thing that I discuss in the book. And uh, so that's a lot of talking for me. And maybe you want to follow up on some of that. My, my planner is almost, I mean, I have my own journal I write in every morning, but my planner is my journal of, of, of productivity, what, what he just talked about. Yeah. You know, I, I go back and I use it. I chart it. I write about conversations in it. I mean, it's more than just be here, be here, do this, do this. It's It's got detailed conversation notes, follow-ups. I mean, yeah. and I use highlighters in different colors depending on the conversations yeah. so that I can chart it even more in, in those terms. And I'm hybrid in that I do paper and I use an app. So things is what I use for my app for yeah. projects and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff and driving. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a hybrid approach <clears throat> to that. But you've got to have... I think you've got to have both, at least from my mentality, to do yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the the one that I use, it it kind of has a reflection time in it too. So that, man, that is so you. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not so only you. not only like at the start of the day, but then at the end of the day to look back and see. Uh, you can yeah, now yeah. meditate. That's on right. Your that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm gonna want to see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one more one more question for you, just just real brief is is uh, in the appendix or the back of the book, you talk about email and. And I think this is everybody's kind of sore spot. And I know in our organization, we're on teams. And so 
well, you don't have to keep email up, but you have to keep Teams up because when you're in the office or during office hours, we want you on Teams so that you can respond quickly to something or to information between our team. But email is another factor, and those notifications of the dings. There, you know, if I'm leaving a screen on somewhere or a tab on, it will always ding. You know, you'll always hear your your email. But um, when you do it, how you deal with it, any any words of wisdom? What's worked well for you in in approaching that that behemoth uh, called email? Well, I don't always do it well myself, but you know, I've heard it said, "Would you go check your your mailbox uh, eight times a day?" <laughs> Uh, and, and think, well, my mail's not being no, delivered eight times a day. A I might my mail is being delivered eight times a day. Um, but nothing can derail you faster than you're working on something and then you get this uh, important email or you get somebody asking you a question that's going to take forever or it's just a stressful email or something. Nothing's going to derail work faster than that. So ideally, uh, now if you can, you have designated times for email. Maybe check them in the afternoon or something. Most of us don't do that. And myself, I, I keep my email open uh more than I probably should. It depends on your industry. If you're a customer service representative, that might be your job is to answer to emails. You know, and you mentioned the way you all are set up in your office. So you may not have the opportunity to turn it off. Um, but speaking from my experience as, as in the industry I'm in now, I can turn it off a little more commonly, uh, meaning I can check it less frequently. In a prior job, I probably couldn't have done that because your job is to respond to the emails. Now, uh, even so, regardless of how often you check it, a couple of things are, are helpful tips. One, if you're copied on something, don't f- and don't feel like you have to respond if they didn't ask yeah. you, yeah. right? Uh, or if some if seven people are on the email and you happen to see it first, you don't feel like you have to res- be the first one to respond because you may not even be the best person to respond. Or respond if you all. just say, <laughs> <laughs> or just say, "Hey, I don't know this." Well, don't you probably don't need to send an email to say, "I don't know." Uh, in every circumstance. But the other thing is, is making sure your emails are clear. Nobody gets upset if your emails are short and clear. Bolding things in your email, here's the question, um, not giving a long discussion, and then just ending it with thoughts. Uh, you know, the qu- thoughts question mark is not really a question. It sort of is, but it's much more effective to say, what do you think we should do on this issue? Or do you think we need to take action on this issue? So if you clarify a clear question and state it clearly, it's going to help move things along. Um, Or if you can take an email out of it saying, um, hey, let's have a meeting. And you respond, okay. And they say, when can you meet? I don't know. So if somebody says, hey, let's have a meeting, you might say, yes, I can do Thursday or Friday between three and five. Pick one of those times or whatever. And now you just cut out yeah, five yeah. minutes of work. You missed the dance. Like <laughs> you the dance. cut out the dance altogether. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's so so critical to, to know how to – everybody uh, – I mean, if I get an email, I need to respond. But it, yeah. it needs to be clear. It needs to be concise. And it needs to meet what's going on. And that saves yeah. me 10 minutes. Because yeah. after time, if I write a long paragraph, I'm like, i got to read it 20 more times to make sure – Yeah. I'm dancing well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, kind of thing, yeah, whatever. So, well, and here's something else that, that I don't know if it's in the book, but if you know, if you respond to the same type of question on multiple uh, times, save that thing as a draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next time yeah. you get the same question, copy That's and good. paste it, and then you know, edit it and and, and respond to the person's question. But uh, that will save you long instead of having to rewrite the same email over and over again. Yeah. And here's one more thing for those who are maybe pastors, and especially if you get a really hard question about something and. You know, maybe you can nod if that's ever happened to you. Yeah, no, you sure. know, yeah. Hey, what's the meaning of life? Thanks. 
Uh, well, how do you, I get questions like this all the time. Hey, what does the Bible teach about God and man? Thanks. You know, well, I, I can't really answer that. Uh, yeah. So what I will often do is say, good question. Here are some published sources you can go look at. They thought about it carefully. Uh, a lot of it's well presented. And so I will point people to uh, trustworthy conversations on some of those hard questions and not feel like I have to write yeah. uh, a, a small dissertation uh, or essay on a difficult question. Because often that's already been done well by someone else, and we can simply point people to it. So when I think about this conversation, I mean, we've gone multiple zones here, uh, and you can go much deeper, of course, talk about where you can get uh, the resource every day matters. But just from a biblical perspective, uh, it's it's about being a, a follower of Christ and a disciple, and it's about being faithful. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in productivity, you be faithful and you understand the rhythms, you understand the tools, you understand the formats, you understand your personality and how you work, right? That makes a difference yeah. uh, in certain zones. So uh, I just think, you know, how, it, it, isn't it, doesn't it boil down to being a good steward of time, resources, opportunity? It's being faithful and it doesn't happen overnight. You have to work at it and it comes in seasons. Yeah. yeah. So. I've, very well said. Very well said. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of kind of what I'm thinking through this. Just continue to be faithful, and steward and steward well what you do. So, uh, Brandon, what's the best way people can connect with you uh, for uh, if they want to reach out, have more of a conversation? Uh, best place to uh, locate uh, Everyday Matters book and purchase that. Well, you can find out um, how to contact me from the website seminary's website, uh, faculty.wts.edu. Uh, I have a Twitter account, but it's often dormant. Uh, it's my name, Brandon D. Crow. Um, so uh, you can find it there. The book Everyday Matters uh, is available at pretty much every major uh, bookstore. We have a. If you don't know this, or if your listeners don't know, uh, our seminary runs a Christian bookstore, Westminster Books, uh, WTSBooks.com, and all of those are are uh, designed to be uh, curated. They pray for the customers and so forth. So if you're ever interested in where can you browse theological books, that, that's another opportunity perhaps uh, to know about. And it is a good store. I've, I've purchased a number of things through there. In fact, all of our Roman scripture journals that we're doing in July, I bought all of them, all several hundreds of them through them. So, yeah, always always a good source uh, yeah. to, to reach out to. Right. Very, very good. So, well, Brandon, thank you for being on the podcast today, and uh, thank you for the opportunity for writing the book and being able Absolutely. to share it with us. And I know it's a tool that uh, a lot of days I feel like I'm in these conversations with people with, yeah. and it's a continual growth process. So thanks for joining us on the Reimagine Podcast. As always, you can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Overcast, and download any of the episodes and rate them. You can check us out on reimaginecast.com. So for Brad and Brian, I'm Greg. Thanks for listening to the Reimagine Podcast.